Bringing you everything under the Disney umbrella. Network 1901. Bringing you everything under the Disney umbrella. Network 1901. everyone welcome back to another episode of lipstick and lightsabers i am shannon and i'm alex and today we are doing our part two of our makeup and mandalore series where we will be talking about episodes one through four of the mandalorian but before we get into that we do have some news items to talk about um we are recording this a little bit in advance so a couple of things on here we won't be able to talk about and one thing in particular happened exactly yesterday so we are still freaking out about it um but first thing not star wars related technically um but deathless divide the second book in the Dread Nation series by Justina Ireland is out, I believe, the same day as this episode. Um, We've both read Dread Nation. It's an amazing book. Uh, Justina Ireland is a Star Wars author, and I'm really, really excited for this sequel. It's so good. Yes. So we (laughs) highly recommend it. I'm I'm like so confident that this book's going to be good. Yes, I, I'm really, really excited. And she said um, at Celebration that, like, Catherine gets a point of view, and, like, Catherine's my favorite character, so I'm, I'm really, really excited. It's going to be fun. Um, but <laughs> the thing that happened exactly yesterday was um, Adam Driver hosted Saturday Night Live. <laughs> We're still on a high from it. <laughs> it, happened, it happened 10 hours ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> or I guess, like, uh, it ended 10 hours ago, so... It was ongoing. Can you... Uh, this whole episode was like a Really journey. good. It was, it was really, really good. good. I was oh. not expecting it to be really good. No. Because, like, Adam's always great. Oh, no, no, no. Nothing against Adam. Exactly. I just, um, but, like, sometimes, like, the sketches... Like, I know, like, last time he hosted, some of the sketches were just kind of lame. Okay, yeah. Like, there was, like... Per, like Abraham Parnassus was amazing last time, but I think this time most of the sketches were really good. Yes. So we got Matt the Radar Technician Part 2, which I think was what everybody was flipping out about. So now we have Randy the Intern. What do you think about Randy the Intern? Oh, man. He's a feminist icon. (laughs) (laughs) How many cosplays do you think you'll see at Celebration? I hope so many. I hope so many. Like, he wears a beanie. He's got, like, blonde bangs. Like, wow. Wow. So, you know how how a lot of people, when they draw matte art, there's um, Ray. I forget what her name is, but she's, like, also in the costume. Yeah. I think... (sighs) I, I'm not super familiar with, like, triplets. Oh, thick. yeah, the, the trash triplets. <laughs> yeah, the trash triplets. But now I'm guessing there's going to be, like, a trash quartet. Um. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Ray, thing... Ray the intern. Oh, God. <laughs> My favorite thing that this um, sketch did, though, was give us bearded Kylo Ren, which... which we're both stands of bearded. Yeah, we're, we're beard stands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So I'm glad that more people can understand that, like, this is amazing. <laughs> I loved that they included the I do line that was in oh. the, the Rise of Skywalker trailer that did make it into the movie. Yes. It's like, do you think you think you think she'll she'll take his hand a second time? It's like who cares? I do. I care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I felt like we were being like called out. <laughs> we were, but in a good way. Yes, he he really he really fed his rats. He really did. What was your so out of everything that he did other than Randy the intern? What was your favorite? I, I love bet I know ketchup low. <laughs> <laughs> the ketchup sketch. <laughs> oh my god. That was genius. Yeah. The whole sketch. I can't believe he didn't His kiss. name was Windermere. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I rewatched and it this morning. Oh my god. Yeah, I rewatched it this morning and it's just like it's even funnier. Like, oh my god. <laughs> Whoever came up with that like deserves an award because that was hilarious and there's already art there's already a text fic on twitter like man (laughs) that was amazing yeah snl needs to have adam on at least once a season (laughs) yes yes i don't know that episode was pretty horny i don't know if they can handle the horniness (laughs) um but also happening today so we can't really talk about this yet because we haven't seen it but it will have been over and done with by the time this episode comes out uh is the last episode of resistance so resistance has finally come to an end we're a little worried yeah but i mean at this point we will have seen it when this comes out (laughs) hopefully we'll be okay um I don't, at this point, I don't see us covering the season of Resistance on the show. Yeah. Because I don't I, have that much to say about it. I feel like <laughs> if if we cover Resistance, like, we'll do it as a whole. Yeah. And we'll talk mostly about, like, characters. But as, But so even far, characters, like, though, it's... It didn't go the way that... Season one Season went. one, Yeah. yeah. They set up so many amazing arcs, and I feel like, you know, especially, like, that poster, like, you've you've been talking about this, like, they really set up an interesting dynamic with um, Tam being part of the First Order, and she just didn't really get any time at all, and there's one episode left, and there's so much that hasn't happened. Yeah. You don't give us the poster at Celebration that has Tam and Kaz, like both equal size like mirroring each other on this poster Mm -hmm. like they clearly look like dual protagonists not one of them isn't like bigger than the other so like why give us that poster and then give us like hardly any tam this season yeah well and like you know like how long it takes to animate things like you you know how these things go so like it's it's can't be because of like the rise of Skywalker. So like why I don't even I I don't I have no idea. I have no insight into anything, but I it makes me wonder if season 3 was still on the table at the point when this was in production. I and I feel like it had to have been cuz like we haven't had any closure with the children from Tehar. Um they introduced Mika Gray and like some Sith stuff that never got any resolution either. Yeah. I feel like there's... The, 
The only just a lot. thing I could see happening is if they said, you know, this show is ending, but these characters are kind of carrying over their stories into this new show. And it's not going to be called Resistance because, like, the Resistance is no more as of Tross. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, the new New Republic. Yeah. That's the only way I could be, like, okay, like, they're bringing all these characters over. Fine. But yeah. no one and said anything. And I mean, anything. like, I, I was a huge, like, Ben 10 fan. And that went through, like, four iterations where it was basically the same characters doing the same things. They just kept calling it different things yeah. and having different seasons. So... I mean, I could definitely see that. I do wonder, though, if maybe the storylines that they were going for had to get reworked because of Tross, like, even if that is still going to yeah. happen. Because we have but, no idea what's coming for animation, like, after that's Clone a, Wars. That's a good point, because um, animation is done so far in advance that they may have been following a different Tross yeah. plot. Yeah. Yeah, because Kylo Ren is supposed to be in this episode, so, I honestly wouldn't be... And, like, obviously, everybody knows by the time this came out, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if, like, the scene that he's in, like, got cut. And, like, it was in the trailer, but, like, it's not in it anymore. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. Yeah. It's just weird that no one on the timeline's really talking about it. Yeah, nobody's talked about it yet. It's pretty... I mean, it's, like, midday when we're recording. Um, and, like, we watch it when it airs at night um yeah but nobody's been talking about it yet so we'll i guess we're gonna see it's just it's so different than last season when people would like wake up and watch it with their breakfast and be so excited and our entire timeline would be resistance Mm -hmm. talk and it's such a different feel this season well and like i even know like for me i remember last season like i was always so excited to watch it and like this year i've even found myself like forgetting that it was gonna be on or when we forgot that there was a double episode. Yeah, we were just like, oh, there was a double episode, and we had to like go yeah. back and find it. It's a double episode today. It is just a double episode today? You. Yes. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> my my bedtime. I know, it's two, like, <laughs> two nights with in SNL, a row. With SNL <laughs> and this, I'm going to be so messed up. Oh, my gosh. Well, in some other animation news, um, we did get the Clone Wars trailer, poster, and release date for season seven. It looks amazing. It looks so good. So that's going to be out February 17th, uh, which is the day before our final Makeup and Mandalore episode comes out. Yeah, is that's a Monday. It is a Monday. That's mm. a holiday here in Ontario. Is it a holiday in the States? Um, it's family day here. In a lot of yeah, Canada, not Quebec. Yeah, it's President's though. Day. Oh, okay, there you go. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. And then um, colleges start their spring break that day here, too. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited for this season, especially since it's the Siege of Mandalore, and, like, we've been... We just went through and, like, watched all those Clone Wars episodes. Like, it's very, very fresh. Yeah, very fresh. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. Um, visually, it looks stunning. It looks so high budget. I'm not sure that I've seen television animation at that level ever yeah it looks like feature quality what do you think of like the mocap and everything like all well, the work that i they don't put in? think so so they put maul into mocap uh, well they put sorry they put um ray park into a mocap suit and i'm not 
I think that it was more for reference than act mm-hmm. like like them actually copying it exactly exactly. But they um, they did a really really good job. It looks really smooth, and um, I'm so excited. Yeah, it looks really good. Ahsoka looks beautiful. Yeah, I, everything's I'm so much ready. richer. Like the I was saying, like the colors. The environments are so much fuller. Mm-hmm. The animation is um, more nuanced. Like, it, like clearly, though, they have more time to work on this. Their deadlines were probably further apart than they were when Clone Wars mm-hmm. was on cart- on Cartoon Network. It's yeah. not like it's not necessarily that there's better animators working on this show. It's that they're the same animators, but they have much longer to work on things. Yeah, more time, more money. Mm-hmm. That really shows that they know how special this is. Yeah. Like, obviously, you know, money-wise, like, this is still a smart move because people are obsessed with it. But I think they really know how much people love Clone Wars. Yeah. And you can tell that they really wanted to get it right. Which, again, like, tells me that something went wrong with The Rise of Skywalker. And hopefully things are going to be done, but... And I think we've both seen the quality of everything um, coming out of Disney Plus, all the originals, is Mm. really high. Yeah. Um, Like, Mandalorian is, I would say, like, Game of Thrones level even higher. And then... Even High School Musical, the musical, the series, which if if there was no Disney Plus, it would probably fit onto the Disney Channel or onto mm-hmm. Freeform, I guess. Yeah, because um, it's and very I, like Glee style. Yeah, and I think that even that the the, the production budget looks higher than either yeah. of those two. Well, because both of us were expecting it to be like decom quality, yeah. and it wasn't. So they they are really putting a lot mm-hmm. of effort into their shows for Disney Plus. So that's really really good to know, and it's I I love seeing that. I liked seeing that they really want it to be good. So our final bit of news this week is that the Rise of Skywalker art book uh, was released in Korea, and now it has been <laughs> recalled. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. This movie's a mess, Alex. This movie's a mess. Oh, oh my. What does it mean? I don't really? know. Does it just mean, like, oh, guys, like, you guys kind of jumped the gun, like, it shouldn't be on shelves yet? Or, like, but they were, like, terminate the books. Yeah, they were literally, like, all <laughs> copies will be destroyed. Like, Yeah, it wasn't very just, like, clear. take them off the shelves and wait. It was destroy the copies. Yes. So it's, <laughs> so it's clear that, like, they're changing things. And... From the art book, like, if you didn't see the leaked images, uh, this was a very different movie at one point. Like, all of the Oracle stuff is in the art book. None of it's in the movie. There's, obviously, like, concept art is concept art. Like, they can kind of do whatever they want. It doesn't really mean that that was something that they were going to do. But you can kind of tell by, like, how fleshed out certain things are. So I wonder if they're either pulling it to make it align more with the trust that we got or if they're pulling it to help fix it <laughs> like help like set up that like they're moving in a different direction I, later i don't know i don't know D- much just, like the novelization i am very scared of this book <laughs> and 
I really, like, I'm really looking forward to now someone who has the Korean version and getting the new version and actually doing, like, a side-by-side comparison and, like, pointing out what's different. Yes. And I think that'll be telling. Yes, I think that'll be really telling, especially, like, the passages, which we never really got any, like, good translations. Yeah, I think that, like, because, like, the language is a little different, like, things come off differently in different languages, so it's hard to say, like really anything about those passages and um and then there was that last page of the art book (sighs) this last page man (laughs) it's kylo ren like walking and you can't really tell where he is yeah there's an eclipse so both of us immediately (laughs) were like world between worlds tinfoil tiara (laughs) tinfoil tiara and see like that's that's what i'm thinking i'm like are they gonna lean more into that by like recalling the book are they gonna like lean into it because they're gonna move in that direction are they cutting it completely because there, there was no passage it with was, that and it didn't say what it was yeah it, <laughs> it was just the picture at the very end of the book no explanation <laughs> my conspiracy theory was the the art was actually exegol concept art that they added that eclipse onto yeah like it was exegol to begin with but they're like you know, if we, like, let's, tweak it, then people will assume this. Yes. Yes. I'm all for, like, obscure breadcrumbs that they're, breadcrumbs that they're leaving to fix this movie. But, you know, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I don't know. Yeah. I Maybe just... one day uh, we'll do a whole, like, World Between World episode and go into the whole signific- significance of portals and moons and eclipses. We really should, though. Like, we need to watch <laughs> Mortis and World Between Worlds and, like, do both. Because it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot. And, like, I'm trying to think if there's, like, any books that kind of go into the more mystic side of the Force, and there's really not. The only one, though, like, with prophecy and stuff is Master and Apprentice. Yeah. But there's nothing about world between worlds in that. Project Luminous sounds like it's going to be weird force stuff. I hope that gets announced soon. (sighs) I do, too. I'm really, I'm really excited for that. They said soon. They're going to say soon. (sighs) But a soon need. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's another thing. Justina Ireland, she's she's working on Project Luminous. So if you want to check out some of her work that's not middle grade, uh, read Dread Nation. Yeah, her YA is really good. Her YA is so good. Okay, so I think we are ready to move into uh, part two of Makeup and Mandalore. So I was so excited to rewatch The Mandalorian. And I actually rewatched these episodes with my mom. And she is obsessed with the show. And it makes me so happy because she's <laughs> like, I mean, I, I guess you would say that she's kind of like a general fan. Like, if she knows things, it's because I lean over and I'm like, hey, this is the thing. Um, but she loves IG-11. Like, even when we were watching the first episode, she was like, how could you watch this and not immediately become obsessed with this? And I'm like, that's amazing. I'm so glad you <laughs> love this. <laughs> it's true, though. Because mm-hmm. everyone I tell to watch a show, they, they all love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so, so good. And I love that... This can definitely be your entry point in Star Wars. Oh, 100%. It, it makes sense. You don't need... I've had people ask me, like, you know, like, do I need to know things to go into this show? I'm like, no. 
You don't no. need to know anything. Even, I mean, like I told them, I've been telling people like, oh, this takes place at this time. I think that's all you need to know is but just that it pretty, takes place after. They're very clear about you knowing that the Empire has fallen at that point. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. I, I was actually talking to somebody at work because um, he hadn't seen it, but like he heard of Baby Yoda. So like, because people call him that... They, he assumed that it was actual Yoda. So when I told him when it took place, he was like, oh, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, you should watch the show. <laughs> like, you know, it's going to tell you all of the secrets. Except it won't, because there's so many secrets with The Mandalorian. <laughs> so many. So, so many. So we are after the fall of the Empire. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we're happy. New Republic has begun. Where are we in relation to, like, Aftermath, End of Lost Stars? So we are, is it five years? I believe so. Jakku? Is it five years after Jakku or five years after... Endor? <laughs> I think it's five years after Endor. Okay. Which would mean that... We're, for those of you who haven't read, like, Aftermath, you know, it, it took a while for the Empire to, like, fully fall. There were still cells mm-hmm. everywhere. That's where you get characters like Ray Sloan and... Hey, Chris um, Terrio, listen up. Yeah, Chris Terrio. Hey, hey, hey. The war, war didn't, didn't end. end. <laughs> at Endor. <laughs> war did not end at Endor. It ended on Jakku. Um, but this was, like, a really hard time for the New Republic. Uh, they were trying to form. And we even get a joke, you know, like, why would you report anything to the New Republic? Like, the New Republic's a joke. Yeah. So, but it's clearly far enough away that, like, seeing remnants of the Empire isn't unheard of, but it is unusual because the Empire has fallen. And with our Mandalorians, you know, the last time we saw them was at the end of um, Rebels, the very beginning of season four. You know, they were going to take back their home world, Bo-Katan had the Darksaber. Obviously, we're going to get into what the Siege of Mandalore is with Clone Wars, but this is a very different landscape when we open up in this episode. The whole world's kind of in disarray. There is no organization. Yeah. It is A lawless time. It is a lawless time, and it makes me wonder, like, will we see the core... In season two, will yes. we see what the core is like? Is there organization in the core? Because there's definitely no organization in the Outer Rim. Yeah. I'm not surprised that we didn't see the core in the sequel trilogy, just because... Well, we did see... We saw Hosni they... and Prime. No, 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 but when they did their... <laughs> Like oh, that does skipping. whatever, whatever, <laughs> um, whatever. Light speed skipping, Shannon. Lord have mercy on me. Um, but I, I, I wasn't surprised that we didn't see too much of the core, but we did see some of it in Resistance Reborn, uh, which you know Trost totally ignores. So you know who cares? <laughs> um, but I would be interested to see it during this time when they are trying to rebuild like they don't really they have some leaders you know from the rebellion but they are really trying to just maintain their control and they have to spend so much time on that that they haven't been able to like you know fix crime or help the outer rim which is why we still have places like navarro we still have bounty hunters and you still get these small cells of the empire popping up 
So this episode, I feel like the very beginning of it is like a perfect introduction to it the Mandalorian. Is. But it also, so when it opened up the first time I watched it, there was a lot more humor than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of like the humor kind of reminds me of the last Jedi humor, to be honest. Yeah, it definitely does. You know, this episode was directed by Dave Filoni. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people were talking about, like, the blue fish guy that he captures, like, right at the beginning. Like, it's a very Dave Filoni type of character. Yeah. Very, um, just, like, silly. Mm-hmm. Even the way that he looks, you know, like, he's so mm-hmm. bright and he really stands out. And it's a good contrast to the Mandalorian. Because when he comes in... He doesn't say a whole lot. Uh, It's very clear that he's just coming in. He wants to get the job done. He wants to go. And it actually, I have a note um, that it reminded me of the the beginning of The Witcher. Because, like, in that, you know, like, Geralt, you're kind of introduced to this character who you think is just going to be, like, fighting monsters. And, like, slowly you realize that, like, no, this is a soft boy. There's a soft boy in there. There's a baby boy in here. (laughs) So who is the Mandalorian He's a bounty hunter. He's a lone wolf. He's opposite of that silly character. He's very no-nonsense. Um, I think he just is trying to survive and get the job done. Keep his head down. Keep keep out of um, attention. Yeah. Yeah, and like as we'll see, you know, he does operate within a tribe, but I, I feel like he is very isolated, and he tries mm-hmm. to keep people... Like, at a distance. Yeah. And considering, um, I was going to say, considering he tries to keep, lay low and, and not be noticed, he is the only Mandalorian that people are seeing, so he gets a lot of attention. Yeah, exactly. I even thought about that, like, when he gets the new armor. It's like, yo, bro, yeah. <laughs> you're very shiny now. So his ship, the Razorcrest, and I never really thought we would talk about ships, um, but there's something very interesting about this ship. And that is the shape of it. What does it look like? It looks like a uterus. It does. It's literally a womb. Mm -hmm. And I was was thinking about that. Obviously, spoilers. We talked about that in our first episode. But when I was rewatching this, I kept thinking, you know, immediately people saw the feminine imagery with this show. That was something that we were caught really off guard by, that Mm -hmm. the show is very feminine gaze. And the ship being, like, a womb, like, having that um, symbolism, like, what is that saying about Mando? And, like, we know that this is going, this show is going to be him protecting a child. And, like, this is the home. And we do see it attacked later. So, like, Mm -hmm. what are they trying to show us? I also think that it's about rebirth of of Mando. Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely see that as well. And I know um, Mary Claire on What the Force has an amazing series where they talked all about uh, every episode of The Mandalorian. And she talked about, like, the razor crest being, like, Occam's razor and how, you know, it's a really fast ship. It can hide from, like, scanners. Just there's a lot going on here that they're really trying to, like, convey without having to actually tell you anything. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of, like, feminine energy, you mean, of, like, laying low and not being noticed. Yes, definitely. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, going into, 
kind of that hero's journey thing of like being isolated and being alone. And slowly what Mando is met with is a lot of resistance when he tries to do that. And like he has to open up and accept help. And a lot of this show is kind of him against the feminine. And when he gives Mm -hmm. in, that's when he prevails. The main planet that we see, I would say, like, for the show is Navarro. And I had no idea that this was a lava planet (laughs) until, like, the end of the series. Yeah, until, like, episode seven. Yes, yes. So we've seen, like, what, two lava planets, this and Mustafar? I'm trying to think. There has to be another one. I don't, I don't think know. so. Okay. So what's different between Navarro and Mustafar? Navarro has these things called lava fields. And they're more like rivers than like big like oceanic masses of lava, mm-hmm. I would say. And it's kind of like we're both watching Sabrina, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and... Like, very mild spoilers for this, but there's a kind of, like, a a river road of blood, and it kind of reminds me of that, the way the the It does. Yeah. I I was kind of thinking, like, you know, when you think of Mustafar, it's, like, very violent, and it's, like, Mm -hmm. all exploding, and there's lava everywhere. And Navarro... Active. Yeah, it's it's active. And Navarro, it's all underneath the surface. Like, it's all... Mm -hmm. It's like it's sleeping. And, like, we'll see later in the show, like kind of defend like descending to the like the lava river there's a lot of descents in the show but the fact that it's kind of all under the surface and it's all kind of like turned to rock on the outside i think you could even say is kind of representative of not just the mandalorian but like maybe even vader uh, maybe yeah, even of some of our other shell. characters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even and it's, but it's interesting because at the time of this show Mustafar is actually healing. Yeah, Mustafar is healing. Mm-hmm. Like, Though there's slowly, actually trees and everything. Very slowly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this was ever their intention, but Navarro even kind of reminds me of Kylo Ren's repaired mask. It, oh, wow, it does. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if maybe that was their ever their intention or if it was entirely for marketing, but that is an interesting parallel that they could draw back on. I mean, there's a lot of things in Tross that they could go back and draw upon that weren't meant to be anything. There's a lot of accidental <laughs> meaning yeah. in Tross. <laughs> but when we arrive on Navarro, that's when we finally start meeting some of our other characters. And one of the main ones is Grief Karga. So who is Grief Karga? So he's the leader of the guild, and he basically gives you your assignments, gives pucks out to all the bounty hunters. Yes. And he is... I really thought he was going to be, like, the villain. But he Mm kind of turns it around. He's not a bad guy. He's just making ends meet, you know? He's surviving. Yeah. In this, like, kind of, like, we've said, this lawless time when I think everyone has to do some questionable stuff to get by because of how disorganized it is. Yeah, he's kind of like a DJ character. Yeah. Mm. It's kind of like there's not enough rules set up in the galaxy yet to follow rules. Where, like, within the Empire, sure, those rules were corrupt, but there were guidelines for everything. Yes, which is, 
you know, it makes sense why people felt secure under the Empire, even if they were, like, allowing these horrible things to happen, because at least they knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings us, um, skipping down a little bit, like, the juxtaposition between Grief Karga and the client. Two very different characters. Two very different characters. So we're told that, you know, there is one job. It's, like, very secret. It's very under the table. They can't even there's give no him... Puck. Yeah, there's yeah. no puck. They can't give him all this information that he normally has. And when he goes to meet with the client, we don't even know who he really is. You know, this is some leftover remnant of the Empire. He has stormtroopers. He's got an Empire medallion on. And to me, he almost seems kind of, like, insane. The he way is. he talks. Yeah. <laughs> I think he has a lot of um, this built-up confidence in himself that he's just like, well, the world around me is kind of falling apart, so I'm going to bring order to, like, my small sect of just, like, people. Yes. Yes. And, like, everybody serves somebody. So, like, he is Mm -hmm. under someone. And knowing that and going back and watching this episode, I kind of wonder if he's scared. Yeah. Because I think the, that he has a bit of a power trip too, though. I yeah, I, de- I definitely think that. Um, you know, like the scientist that we see is very much like you have to bring the asset back alive. Like we we need them alive, blah blah blah. And the client is like dead or alive, I don't care. And we do yeah. find out that like he was sending out like tons of bounty hunters because you know just a bit of insurance. Like he wants mm-hmm. this thing found, but he doesn't care if it's alive or dead. So. I, that does kind of lean into, like, is it because he wants to be in charge or is it that he's afraid of this thing? It could be both. It could be a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. And you had kind of an interesting thought about the scientist and, like, what's going on in this. Oh, yes. Okay, so I had this, like, weird idea about the meta of the scientist and how, in my eyes, he could re- represent the story group where he's working with this guy who is like doing corrupt stuff but he he decides to help anyways and try to do what's best for the child because if he doesn't help then things will be even worse so he's kind of yeah. like you know like i'm 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 trying to keep it alive i'm i'm trying to save this child don't kill me <laughs> yeah it's like i like i'm just He's just doing his job, and, like, he's trying mm-hmm. to do it without people getting yeah. hurt. Rather than walk away and, like, leave the child completely in the hands of the client, mm-hmm. he's like, you know what, this child's better off if I actually stay. Yes, and, like, it has been brought up that The Mandalorian as a series is could be seen as a meta-commentary of what Star Wars is right now, and I think you can definitely see that, like... You know, Baby Yoda is the myth, and mm-hmm. Mando is trying to take care of it. He's trying to protect it, and he realizes that he maybe can't do yeah. things the way that he used to. That he needs to embrace the feminine. He needs to embrace the feminine. <laughs> and we see the feminine with our first descent into where the tribe is hiding yeah, out. So the underworld. Yes, the underworld. And he communes with the goddess, um, the, ar- the armorer. So what the heck is going on 
with the tribe. This is very different from what we saw in the animated series. They're they're in hiding. Mm-hmm. Which is so opposite. Where under Satine's rule, you see a Mandalore that is out in the open. They don't have masks either, but they're mm-hmm. out in the open. Even though they aren't necessarily thriving, we get the image that they're thriving. Where in this show, they're all hiding, and you know for a fact, like, this is not them thriving. Yeah, they're they're basically, like, living in the sewers. Mm-hmm. And they're little rats. Yeah, they the only rats. come out one at a time. They can't reveal their numbers. Um, the armorer even says, like, our secrecy is our survival. Our survival is our strength. Um, I pulled a couple of quotes from different episodes and put them in here. But they even talk about how finding a Mandalorian is harder than finding Beskar steel, which is pretty rare. And that's what the client is using to get the Mandalorian to find this asset. So they're hiding out and they're trying to rebuild. Like finding this Beskar, like getting all of this Beskar is a really big deal for the tribe. Like you can tell that even though Mando hates the Empire... He's willing to work for them to help restore Mandalore. And it also, like, begs the question, where's the rest of the Mandalorians? Yeah, because this is, like, one tribe. And that's a word that we haven't heard before. Where are they hiding? Why are they not on Mandalore? (laughs) And why aren't they showing their faces? Because that's unique you know we've seen everybody else's faces but they say you know like this is the way like you Mm -hmm. you keep your helmet on and we know that this this group descended from a mandalorian group that did show their faces at one point yeah so it's i wonder if it's just like an ancient like they're they're adhering just to this like ancient like side of it and like they've always been like this because mando hasn't shown his face in such a long time but to me, yeah. there does seem to be a little bit of a of like a shame thing maybe wrapped up in it. Yeah. But this makes me a little confused because if he was rescued, was it during... The Clone Wars. The Clone Wars, and he hasn't shown his face since he was that young. Are we, are we going to see something in the Siege of Mandalore that like causes this Ooh, that would be interesting and we know that it doesn't affect like every mandalorian clearly but but we have seen death watch's face yeah well we haven't seen death watch's face since the clone wars because in rebels Mm -hmm. they're all broken up you know like how like clan vizsla is all broken up and Obviously, if you're fo- if you're under the Empire, you're not going to be adhering to those old Mandalorian ways. Yeah. Um, Bo-Katan has kind of split off from that. Yeah. So I do, like, that would be really interesting, like, if something happened in the Siege of Mandalore and, like, that's when they start hiding. Because, because our Mandalorian clearly says in episode four that he hasn't shown his face since he was, like, their age and points to the kids. Yeah. In the village. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I'm excited to learn yeah, that. He hasn't shown his face through all that time in Rebels where we do see some Mandalorian's faces. Yeah. But again, like, all of those were operating within the yeah. Empire, except for Bo-Katan. Mm-hmm. 
So that's really interesting. There could be a little bit of retconning in there, which I think is fine as long as it makes sense. So what do you think of the armorer, our goddess figure? She's like the mother hen of this tribe. Mm -hmm. They all respect her without question. Like, there is no hesitation in what she says when she commands them. There is, like, disrespect amongst, like, some of the other Mandalorians. But with her, it's like, no, like, okay, mom told us to stop fighting. (laughs) Mom said it's my turn with the Xbox. (laughs) She's also, like, the preserver of the culture. Like, she is the armorer. She builds armor. Like, their armor, their weapons, that is their religion. And she is the one. She is the creator. And... Every time Mando goes to see her, it's very, like, spiritual. It's it's as close as I've ever seen a Mandalorian come to, like, being that connected with, like, the spiritual side of Star Wars, I feel like. Yeah. It, it's very quiet. It's very calm. That's when Mando has a lot of his flashbacks. Like, it, it's a very personal experience to have this armor crafted. And the fact that it is a woman in charge of it is really awesome. It's only when he is with a woman that he is remembering his past. And contemplating, like, where should he go from here? Like, every time he's challenged, I feel like it is by a feminine figure. Yeah. And we see that, I think we can transition a little bit into some more feminine figures in this episode. And those are the Blurgs. Yes. So he goes off to look for Baby Yoda. Uh, we meet um, Quill, and he is, I guess, a Blurg herder. He's just having a quiet life He's by just having a quiet He's life. enjoying retirement. Yes. <laughs> and these Blurgs, so... The ones that he fights, the ones that he learns to ride, are female. We do learn that they eat the males um, during mating. That's an interesting uh, tidbit to yeah. like fit in here. And I also think it's interesting that Mando struggles to try and tame this beast, like take control and tr- learn to ride it. And then finally, like he stops. And he is calmer and he tries to like meet her halfway instead of like brute forcing his way through it. And that's when he succeeds. When he finally is being gentle and trying yes. to c- c- like just like. <gasps> what? Go on. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh. No. Shannon's freaking out. I don't know oh, what she's going to no. say. Um, well, so there's this this book series called A Curse So Dark and Lonely. Um, <laughs> there's a character in the second book, and I have to keep all of this a secret because I don't want to spoil it. Okay. But he he has to learn how to use magic, and he try. He's very he's very similar to the Mandalorian. Like he's very like standoffish he's very isolated um he's like wants to be in control and he cannot figure out how this magic works and it is not until a woman tells him you have to be gentle that it finally flows for him and i'm just like oh god i was like
like, what? Like you said gentle and it triggered in my mind. And I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> There's a really, really good scene when that happens. Alex, <laughs> I need you to get there. <laughs> Can we also talk about like the moments when Kylo Ren becomes gentle? <laughs> Gentleness is the key. <laughs> like, well, you, let's even go back and talk about Anakin. Like, Anakin tries to brute force his way to saving Padme. Aggressive negotiations. Aggressive negotiations. And we see where that got him. So I think gentleness is the way. So there is something to be said for, you know, there is no, uh, what, like, there is no passion, there is only peace. Uh, I think there is a middle way. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So okay, good. but the Jedi are way, way wrong. <laughs> the, well, exactly. Like, what's what's the co- what's the gray Jedi code? That's one thing, right? He, yeah. <laughs> what is that in? It's in a book. Gray Jedi is so taboo, though. So oh, I, I know. <laughs> oh, screw them. First comes the day, then comes the night, after the darkness shines through the light. The difference, they say, is only made right by resolving of gray through refined Jedi sight. Journal of the Wills. That's very eclipsy. It's very eclipsy. But anyway, so Mandalore has, Mando has to kind of resolve the feminine. And he learns, especially in like the second episode, that you cannot force your way through things. You kind of have to be gentle, look at it from a different angle. And I really love that Quill is the one to teach him this. I think Quill is very much like a Maz-type character or like a Yoda-type character. Um, He has worked to become free of servitude. He's just living his peaceful life. And that's why he wants to help Mando, because he wants to bring peace back to his life and back to his planet because baby Yoda is bringing a lot of murderous people to this planet. <laughs> I think it's interesting. We won't see this until we like later, but mm-hmm. Quill and IG-11. There, there becomes a relationship. There, there is a relationship. not a relationship yet. Yes. But I think you can even see the, the interesting, like relationship just between how the characters are presented like quill is very passive he you know i have spoken i very sure of himself i will help you um he wants to bring peace whereas ig11 you know he's an assassin droid and (laughs) he will self-destruct at the drop of a hat (laughs) (laughs) well it's kind of like the armor is also creator like quill mm-hmm yeah, and definitely. And Mandalorian will self-destruct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I. What do you think of IG Eleven? I love IG Eleven. He's a baby. I he's think, precious. Um, he's so spunky, and we have like we have a very like um, like a great like collection of droids in the Star Wars universe right now, especially under like the Disney Star Wars um, regime. Uh, we have. Uh, L3, and we have K2SO, and we have BD1, like, recently, and then we have IG-11, and I would say he's similar to K2SO in some ways, but in other ways, not so much. Yeah, I I kind of 
K2SO seems more like, you know, a teenager. Like, mm-hmm. kind of, like, he knows how the world works enough. Whereas, like, IG-11, I, I wrote down that he's, like, a baby. Like, he yeah. he just, like, walks in and he's just like, so I'm here, give me the thing. Like, and yeah, he, he and won't take any resistance. <laughs> he's the very opposite of L3. Very opposite of L3. But he is still sassy, which you could tell that he's sassy without meaning to, necessarily. Yeah. I love it's when... It's part of his programming well i love how like mando asks him like are you okay and he's like yes it it missed my central wiring harness and mando's like what does that mean is like is that a good thing and his head just turns and the eyes go down he's like yes (laughs) he just keeps going (laughs) it's just i love humor like that it's so Mm -hmm. cute and he's he's my mom's favorite character in like all of star wars and i just i love that (laughs) it's just great we didn't get enough of him. No, we certainly didn't. But we do have a big question here, and that is, who commissioned him? Yeah. So, his commission was to kill Baby Yoda. Yes. And we know that the when well when Mandalorian went to see the client, it was well the payment is better if you bring the the baby back alive. Hmm. I mean, we're, we'll still pay you if it's dead, but we'd rather it alive. Mm-hmm. So who just wants this dead? Yeah. And like, Is it we, Moff Gideon? I don't know, because I feel like the Empire really wants this child. We don't know why. Yeah. Um, but is I, it Mo- No, is it the Empire who wants the child, or is it Moff? Oh, that is a good question. That is a question I think for us in the next episode. Yes. Because we'll we'll talk about Gideon a lot. Yes, but definitely. That's like is there any indication that it is like a big universal plan? Is it like cuz we always thought we we're like oh baby Yoda is part of the contingency plan somehow, but at this Boo-boo. point <laughs> um at this point he could be, but there would be like kind of retconning do I think. Because I thought for sure that Baby Yoda was going to have some involvement in the creation of the Sith Troopers, and that was big boo-boo. <laughs> uh, it would have been way better than Sexagal, but... <laughs> like the big orgy on Exegol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, we do know that, like, the Bounty Hunters Guild, Grief Karga, like, he's been giving fobs for this child to everyone, like... Everybody yeah. is after this but thing. But did everyone have to go see the client? And yeah, have that is a question. With Werner Herzog, did they all get cryptic comments? Like you yeah, know, did they like, all get like him like he, like kind of like speaking yeah. in that like, like weird? It, it is good cryptic. to restore the natural order of things. Yeah, did he? Agree? Does he have it all rehearsed and everyone gets the same? Do they all get the same speech? <laughs> Um, I don't know. It's how... a question. <laughs> okay. So yeah, like, did everyone go see the client or just the Mandalorian? And I want to like, see the client. <laughs> was everyone offered Beskar steel? Yeah, or like, did he know? <laughs> There's a lot of questions he... here. Yeah, like, were other people offered things that would be more beneficial to them? Especially because they clearly. Like, this is very secret, like, to the point where, like, I'm sure they knew 
it was a child, but, like, they couldn't tell him that. They wouldn't tell him. So, Mm -hmm. like, this seems like it's a very secret type of assignment, and yet everybody was on it. Yeah. And then the other thing is, like, everyone could have got Beskar Steel, but then it just would have made, like, if someone else got the baby, then it would have ended up on, like, the black market. Yeah. selling the best car because what it, what is like a non-Mandalorian really going to do with best car but try to make money off of it well it's clearly very valuable because they do pay grief cargo with it yeah so it, it is still a valuable commodity but obviously it means a lot more to a Mandalorian yeah. which he does say you know like it's very hard it's harder to find a Mandalorian can than the steel make so jewelry out of Beskar now like is it like can they can they make like grills and stuff <laughs> sorry I was watching the new um episode of Jeff Goldblum yesterday <laughs> and it was about jewelry and Jeff got his own personal grill made trying to imagine a Star Wars character with the grill of Beskar's teeth. It's gonna happen eventually, I'm telling you. Okay. Like, their ha- grills have to exist. I'm sure they do. I'm, I'm positive. <laughs> okay, so let's move into episode two. This one is called The Child, and it was directed by Rick uh, Famiyiwa. And in this, so the Mandalorian has gotten the child, And he's trying to go back to his ship, but it was attacked by some Jawas. They stripped it. And in order to get his parts back, he has to retrieve an egg for them. There's a lot of symbolism in this There's a lot of symbolism. Do you want to start with the child or do you want to start with the egg? Let's start with the child. Because it's the end of episode one, kind of. So, finally gets this bounty. And it is a 50-year-old baby. (laughs) And he is the cutest. The cutest at thing ever. Point, so at this point, we don't know the gender of the baby. Um, but then eventually they do know the gender. So, like, I want to know, like, how did they figure that out? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like a, a Snoke conversation again. What's going on underneath the robe? <laughs> <laughs> this child is 50 years old. So, like, it's a baby. He, he's a baby. He acts like a baby but he clearly is aware of things like he's a toddler he's a toddler he's aware of what's going on and i i Mm -hmm. wonder how much he knows and how much he is able to like process what's going on yeah like because physically he his growth is very slow yeah but mentally... But mentally, is his growth slow? Like, because we obviously, we know he can't talk yet. Or just does noises. it. Well, yeah, he does make yeah. noises. Cute noises. Um, but the other question is, who has he been with for the fa- past 50 or years? Like, has he even been able to get a chance to try to pick up a language? Because if he's kind of been isolated for 50 years, like, where has he been? Yeah, where has he been? What does he see? Like how there's even questions about like the force like it's very innate in him like it it was an instinct to him to try to heal mando even in the second episode like he doesn't get to Mm -hmm. but he was trying and then he saves mando later and you know he's a little baby so he had to take a little nap but it was like 
it was an instinct for him to do this. And I think it's very interesting that he seems to trust Mando, like, immediately. Whereas, like, later when he's given back to the Empire, like, he knows something's wrong. So, like, clearly Mm -hmm. he is able to process, like, things that are happening. Whereas, like, if you had, like, an actual baby, like, this baby doesn't know what's happening. Well, I think he was aware that Mando shot IG-11. Yeah. It, and I wonder if, like, that is the immediate, like, connection. Because after that, Baby Yoda keeps trying to save Mando. Mm-hmm. Like, he... Because he saves, like, he kind of feels like a life debt. Like, like Chewie, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very, very interesting. And I think it's... So when Baby Yoda uses the Force in front of Mando, what did you think of his reaction? It's hard to say because Mando, you don't see his facial acting, but I think that he was very, like, stunned and very, like, surprised, and I don't think that Mando knows what he was seeing, really. Yeah, because when I first watched it, I remember thinking, like, oh, man, is like, does the Mandalorian even know what the Force is? But then going back and watching those episodes from the animated series, like, the Jedi were the enemies of the Mandalorians. And, like, later he does mm-hmm. say that the child was his enemy. So I, I feel like he's trying to, like, reconcile, like, things that maybe he had been previously told with, like, what he's yeah. seeing, maybe. Well, I think even, like, I think a lot of people have talked about this in the past, but once we get to The Force Awakens, not that much time has passed, but people are still, like, unaware how The Force works. I mean, even in... And and they the ori- don't... And it, yeah, it hasn't been that long. It, even and in original the, trilogy time, yeah. people think that they're... Well, I mean, mm. they know that the Jedi are dead, but... Yeah, 20 years has passed... And it's, like, a legend already. Yeah. Um, it's, like, the Jedi are such a mystery how they were capable of doing the things they did. Like, they were just these space wizards, and I feel like a lot of people, especially the, Mandal- the Mandalorians, were, like, oh, we, we should just, we should stay away from them because they're our enemy, and we don't know what their power is coming from. Yeah, we don't know what they're capable of or what they want, like, why there's so they much are fear. this way. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of fear. Like, like we talked about that in the first episode. Like, for such a strong warrior people, they are ruled by fear quite an awful lot. And I, I think in this case, it is kind of the fear of the unknown. Like, he mm-hmm. doesn't know... I. <laughs> He rescued this child, and he is just like, oh, it's just a child. And then this happens, and he's like, I don't know what to do now. And I think that the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, they're trying to say something about uniting the Mandalorians and the Jedi again, or Force users in general, because I think the closest time we were to uniting them was with Obi-Wan and Satine. Mm Mm-hmm. And that didn't pan out. No. And you see how, you know, Sabine and her relationship with, like, Mm -hmm. Kanan and Ezra, but she was a very different 
type of Mandalorian. Well, she she walked away from Mandalorian. Yeah. And so I, I don't think that she was necessarily that, like, representation of Mandalore that was the person that was going to unite the people. True. Not just, like, herself. True. That's very true. So... We do see another descent in this episode. So, like, that's two in a row. Um, Mando descends into this cave, um, the Mudhorn Cave, to steal her egg. And so he he fights, you know, another feminine creature, um, has to be saved by Baby Yoda, and he's getting this egg for the Jawas. And what do the Jawas do with it? They eat it. They eat it. They eat the gunk and the goo. Yeah. And I feel like this scene is set up to make you think, like, uh, that's, like, makes you kind of feel uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. And, like, this could just be foreshadowing for, you know, like, oh, I don't want to take the child back because they're going to hurt him, which I do think in that moment is what Mando's kind of feeling. Thinking, yeah. But, like, we were talking, you know, like, on that meta level, like if baby Yoda is the myth and like you could see what happened to the egg, it's like, Oh yeah. no, 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 no. No. <laughs> I need to protect. This. I want to protect. Yeah. I need to protect it. He learned from that situation. Yes. And he learns, you know, in the beginning he tries to brute force his way into getting those parts back. He cannot penetrate their fortress. And the only way to do it was to trade was to do it calmly and gently, even though he almost got killed by a mudhorn, but... <laughs> and they wanted his Beskar, too. Well, they also wanted Baby Yoda. Yeah, they wanted anything of value. And so that egg was clearly of value. And whether that was just to eat, or if it was... Maybe there was a rarity to it. Like, they wanted something of value. And... It, it almost felt like, to me, it was a spiritual thing for the Jawas. Yeah, because the way they chant... Yeah, and, like, and the way how yellow that yoke is, and it looks like gold almost, Mm -hmm. it just, it, the chanting and and the way they were acting and kind of, like, holding the egg up, like, they were worshipping it, it was very (laughs) spiritual. This is giving me, like, um... uh, It's making me feel gross about, like, maybe why Moff Gideon wants Baby Yoda. Yeah. Because they... He clearly, like, really wants this child. And, like, kind of getting into the third episode, like, they talk about they want to... They're just extract it and be done with it. Like, what are they extracting? Is it like, you know, the yolk inside that egg? What is it, though? Yeah. Is it his ability to live long, or is it the Force? Exactly. Like, are they bringing midichlorians back? Is it something else? And... I, I think we're going to get that question answered, but we might not. Mm-hmm. Because so. you could argue that they could find another Force user. Yeah. So there's clearly something so special about this child. this one? Yeah. And, and I have to wonder, so, like, Mando is charged at the end of the series with, like, going and finding Baby Yoda's kind. Like, I'm wondering if he's... What does the he's, kind mean? <laughs> well, what if he's not going to find them? Like, what if he is the last... I don't think he's going to find them. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. There's something rare, there's something spiritual about this child that's making mm-hmm. them want it. 
So I guess moving into episode three, The Sin, this one is directed by Deborah Chow. And Deborah Chow, please direct all of Star Wars. Well, she's going to direct all of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, but I want her to just direct everything. Her and Ryan, just, you don't need anybody else. (laughs) Just them. Forever. (laughs) That's all I want. But no, we love Sanctuary. So we do love I'm Sanctuary. That is very Del's true. Howard too. That is very true. Yeah. Um, but in this episode, so Mando returns to Navarro to give the child to the Empire, and it's very clear already that he doesn't think it's the right thing to do. Like he's already starting to feel and care for this baby. Like there's that whole scene in the beginning with him, you know, taking the little ball off the thing, yeah, and. He still goes through with it. And you can tell that it's because, like, he needs this Beskar. Like, this Beskar yeah. is everything for his tribe. And I I had thought originally that it was going to come down to saving the tribe or saving the child. And he is kind of able to do both, but at a cost. Yeah. It's like, we got Raylo and Ben Damshane. <laughs> But at what cost? Because the tribe <laughs> reveals themselves to save, to help Mando save this child. And I love the way that it's presented because it's not presented as like, look what you've done. We have to relocate. You know, they're going to find us. It's presented as like, you gave us a reason to fight for something. And even though we're going to have to relocate and regroup, like it was worth it. Yeah, it's like the foundlings are their future, right? Mm-hmm. So finding a new foundling is the most important thing in keeping them safe because they are the future of Mandalore. They are the ones that are going to keep the tradition going. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think we've kind of touched on a lot of this other stuff um, that they kind of bring up in episode three. Um, except for when it comes to Mando's armor. I had a lot of notes about this, about, like, if he was actually wearing Beskar or if it was just old, but he says to the armorer, my armor has lost its integrity. I may need to begin again. Like, what does that mean? Is it because Baby Yoda saved him that it lost its integrity? That he let his enemy help him? I don't know, because we know, like, how important Mandalorian armor is, like, in reusing that Beskar. Yeah. So, like, if the armor he's wearing is made out of Beskar, I don't know why she didn't just, like, repurpose. Is it Beskar, though? Yeah, exactly. See, I don't know. Like, are are they so, you know... I don't think it was. So that, that makes me wonder, like, are they so was... poor in Beskar? Like, do they just not have it anymore like that's yeah. why they're that's why it was so important to get this back mm-hmm. but i still i'm still confused what he meant by losing the integrity yeah because it, it i don't think it was beskar because i think that the beskar armor would shine yeah well and he's clearly like in this episode like he is reforged literally mm-hmm. and like symbolically he emerges with this new shiny new armor and he saves baby yoda and his life is put on a new path like originally see this a lot in star wars you see this a lot yeah exactly doing something sacrificial and being on a new path 
This is a reoccurring theme. Yes. Well, because originally he was going to, you know, give the baby back. Um, and he even asks, you know, Grief Karga, he's like, you know, give me my next assignment. Like, I just, I want to keep moving. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't let it go. Like, he he had to save this child. Like, he had to yeah. save him. And it puts him on a new path. And I think you even see that. With yeah. Ray, like she was going to, she could have sold BB 8 and kept going, but she couldn't yeah. do it. And it's, and it's usually a selfless path mm-hmm. because, I mean, for us, like Solo, for instance, when Kira sacrifices herself basically for Han to get away, we read it like that at least. Mm-hmm. She is set on a new path for better or for worse. Yes, because if she had gone with Han, she would have been running and hiding, which is, she had already done that. She'd lived a life of that. Mm-hmm. But in this and moment... So would, but I mean, so would the Mandalorian. He would still be running and hiding. Exactly. So like in this moment, they've made a choice where it's like, this may not turn out well for me, but I have to do something. I have to do something different. Which is something that we don't see in The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> we're not bitter at all. <laughs> like, I mean, not that like there was any meaning at the end of Tross, but maybe if they were to fix the myth, they all would be on a new path. Well, and we have ideas of that of this new path that Rey is on. I really think that we need to do a mystical force episode where we talk about our tinfoil tiara idea. We definitely should. I I think once we're back from Galaxy's Edge, like, we should, we need to talk about it. And we'll have the novel by then, for better or for worse. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. It's it's definitely a lot. Um, So, yeah, this episode is very pivotal, for Mando with him being reforged. And as we move into the fourth episode, Sanctuary, um, which was directed by Bryce Tallis Howard, you see the beginnings of what this new life for Mando is going to look like. He's trying to keep his head down. He's trying to just protect the child. He's trying to find somewhere safe. Mm -hmm. But once again, he is unable to let... Like, this village that's under attack, he's unable to not help them, which puts them at risk. Yeah. It it, it puts a target on their back. Yeah. Which, clearly, they are able to stay on Sorgan for a while. We're not quite sure how long, but trouble does come anyway. I think the idea is that it's, like, three or four weeks. Yeah. Like, about a month or so. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, I think... I know, for me, The Sanctuary is probably my favorite episode, or one of my favorites. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's very, very good. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about, like, what's going on here? Yeah, so Mandalorian arrives on this planet Sorgon, and he meets up with an ex-soldier to protect um, uh, Krill farmers from raiders. And these raiders also have a big ATS to which I have a huge question of this planet seems to be very out of the way and like mm-hmm. it seems to be kind of untouched by the empire or at least not suffering and yet somehow there is still an ATST here. 
did it end up there after the fall of the empire? Yeah, like was it Because I I can imagine like the new republic is going to have leads on where the the empire was. Mhm. So they're going to clean everything up. So once what's left of the empire hears that, like I would think that they would try to get as much of their like artillery oh, I can't say that artillery. Word. <laughs> yeah, like off planets where they're known to be Mm -hmm. and to be in hiding so i can see like a forested planet being really easy to hide an atst yeah for sure or even like with the force awakens we see how like they're scavenging imperial parts um that's even in the rise of skywalker with janna so Mm -hmm. maybe they just found it and they're just like hey this is ours now it's cool beats people up you know, because clearly there's not an imperial presence here, they but they are using this tech, which I had never seen ATSTs as scary. I don't know. Oh, it was shot so well. Oh, it was shot so well. Like I, I had always seen them as just kind of like these funny little walkers because they're on like two legs. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying in this episode. So, like, I really think that Bryce's like influence from Jurassic Park shows <laughs> so much in this yeah. episode because the ATSC is shot like the T-Rex. It really is. Like to a T. And like like you said, I've never seen them look this scary. Yeah. Well and you can feel the fear because like Cara Dune, you know, who is this ex-rebellion soldier, like she is like, we can't fight this thing. You don't understand. Like this takes out yeah. so many people. There's no way to take it down. Like you do not understand it. Like you really feel that. And I, mm-hmm. I think that that really helps too, because you see the villagers, like they are not fighters, but they're like, well, this is our village and we have to protect yeah. it. Like we need you to help us. Like it, it feels yeah. very real. Yeah. And it's kind of like, this is our village, we have to protect this, this is our legacy. And then there's Mandalorian, who is like, this child just kind of fell into my lap out of all these situations I've been in because I had to, I decided that I had to save this child and now I have to do everything to keep it safe. Well, even like what you said, like that kind of relation to Mandalore, um, I believe they even say like, these ponds were seeded by our ancestors for generations. Like, this is ancestral land. Yeah, exactly. So it's very important to them that they keep it safe. Mm -hmm. And I think Sorghum in general, not just this village, is a really interesting visual, and it means a lot for the story symbolically. Like, this is our first forest. Yeah, our first green planet. I think it's our only green planet in this show. I don't think he goes anywhere else green. Um... Because I'm trying to think, after this, they go to Tatooine, then they're in space, and then they go back to Navarro. I don't think they go anywhere else. You're right. And not only is this planet green, but, like, it's full of life. Like, this, the establishing shots on this planet are the krill farmers. Like, and there's krill everywhere. There are children. There are women. Like, this is a literal sanctuary. It's a safe haven. It's, it's so interesting. The yeah. lore that they're building up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, even the music, like, I love the little guitar that they have. Uh, it's so calming and relaxing. And it makes you, 
like the I always think about like the beginning of this episode when you see all these villagers and then suddenly they're under attack. Like it's very believable because you were already like, oh, this is comfy, yeah. this is cozy, and then all of a sudden they're under attack, and like I was scared for them in that mm-hmm. first shot. I think everything in this episode is very believable because it could have been. It was so easy for them to mess it up, and and for the episode to read like these villagers had no chance against the raiders. Mm-hmm. I think that Bryce, the way she develops, and like and also like John Favreau, the way they develop them. To learn to fight, like, the Raiders and the ATST is so convincing that there is no question when they do win. Yeah. And I think, like I, like I said, I think that it could have been easy for them for it to not be convincing. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think a lot of that does hinge on Kara and, like, her as a character. I, I really wanted to go back and watch Deadpool because that was the only other thing I've really seen Gina in. But I remember her talking about in interviews being directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. She felt very seen and like she still felt feminine, even though she is mm-hmm. this like fighter, this warrior. She's wearing armor, but she still feels feminine. And I feel like that even comes through in the way that she talks. Like she yeah. sounds like a woman she sounds very feminine she sounds very normal and that's why i wanted to go back and watch deadpool because i feel like in that movie she sounds a lot more like gruff and tough and masculine but i think that's very x-men movie of it Mm -hmm. because i think with the deadpool movies their strength is their humor but their the action sequences are still quite, like, stereotypical. Yeah. And they're not... They're not revolutionary Well, whatsoever. and, like, that's the thing. They could have gone in that direction. They mm-hmm. She could have been, like, a Ripley character where it could have been yeah. a man or a woman. But, like, she yeah. is a woman. Where and, it didn't matter. Like, yeah. like, oh, we just wrote a character. It could have been a man or a woman. No, Cara Dune is, like inherently feminine yes exactly and you know she challenges mando just like we've been seeing Mm -hmm. um like the feminine challenge mando up until this point like she still challenges him i think her history with the rebellion is really interesting because she was a drop trooper and she talks about how like after the war they weren't fighting it wasn't the same so she leaves and i thought that was really interesting way to kind of look at the rebellion and like what people were expecting after the end of the war and what did she do that she had to hide on this planet yeah because she is hiding she is literally hiding so i just i don't know i have a lot of questions and the fact that like you know she her and mando have history too so like where did that come in Mm -hmm. but like she agrees to help this village so like she still wants to help people yeah there's also um a theory going around that Kara was a royal, like, a royal guard or training to be a royal guard. Ooh. <laughs> Alderanian I royals. like that. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> I don't know how that plays into her not wanting to protect, protect diplomats unless it was, like, something mm-hmm. that she just didn't believe in. Because, like, yeah. I feel like with Alderaan, people, like, really believed in their rulers. They seemed to be very yeah. loyal. But I think that the war would change someone, too. Yeah. Even if she was for that before the war. Yeah. 
It's really interesting. There's a lot of depth there. I want a Cara Dune book. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Claudia <Yeah>, Gray. <laughs> where, are, where are our Mandalorian books and comics? Yes. Where are they? Because I think there's another character in this show, in this episode, that we would like to know more about. <laughs> Who's that? Omara. Yes. Yes. Do you want to talk about Omara? <laughs> Yeah, she's a widow. She's a mother. <laughs> I just said that like SNL. <laughs> oh my god. I didn't mean to. I'm a husband? I'm a father? No. Um, um, so, yeah, so she is... She feels like the matriarch of this village. She is very motherly to everyone and a leader. Um, she's very sure of herself. She's very confident. I, I get the impression that she will go after what she wants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. She knows exactly who she is. I was kind of struck by it. So I recently reread Twilight, and I actually watched the movie last night. And it's very much about, like, I want this thing, and I'm going to get it. And, like, she wants Mando, and she's going to get it. <laughs> And like I I love that. Like good for her. Like she's going to go after something that she wants. Like I think it was a really interesting choice to have that romance kind of blossom here. And there's clearly like a lot of sexual tension in this episode too. Mm-hmm. Like her, it was like her shooting. Yes. <laughs> Mando is met with a lot of softness in this village, um especially even when he's being like asked to come and help and even in the cantina um with the waitress like everybody is very soft towards him and like very understanding and like omara is understanding to the point where you know she recognizes that he doesn't eat with everybody else because he can't take his helmet off and she is very caring and understanding to him and i think it really affects him to like feel this yeah. this softness and to see and- like, you know, baby Yoda's thriving with the children, too. Like, he, it's really affecting him. I think it's the first time he's felt seen by an outsider. Yeah, I think so, too. And I, like, yeah. I, I kind of wonder how nurturing it is within, like, the Mandalorian culture, especially if he has not taken his helmet off in front of another human being or another living thing since he was a child. Like, to mm-hmm. feel so seen, to feel this connection is probably very overwhelming i i don't think he's ever felt it i don't think so either and he does get to the point where it's brought up twice like why don't you just pack all of this away in case you need it why don't you take off the helmet and live a quiet life here with Amara, yeah, why, yeah, you know, raise your son. Why don't you settle down with the widow is what, like, Kara says, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, and it, he talks to Amara, too, like, to tell her that, you know, he's leaving. And she's just like, like, we want you to stay. We want you to be here. Like, she wants him to stay. And his voice breaks when he tells her. So good. Uh, <laughs> he, he tells her, I don't belong here. Like, there's a lot going on in that. Now, I my wish for this show is that by the end of this whole journey, he feels like he can belong there. Yeah. And he does. Yes. But 
if JJ and Chris Terrio ever got to stick their fingers in this, he would end up on Tatooine. Alone, with the mask still on, probably. There is that question, what is keeping him from from being here? And it, it it's clearly this, like, I don't belong the here. Fear. It's that fear. And it is, you know, like, this is the way. Like, you, you keep your helmet on. If you take it off, you can't put it back on again. But I do think he... I think he wants to. Yeah. I, but I, I think there's a lot of unresolved things within himself that keep him from yeah. staying. Th- this is the introduction of a conflict within him where it's, what if it doesn't have to be the way? Yeah. And that that's something that you see um, Sabine introduce, like, in Rebels, because she said, like, that may be the way, but it's not my way. Um, and I, I think he's starting to go on this journey of maybe this doesn't have to be the way things are. Mm-hmm. And I think with Sabine, she's a teenager, so she feels like she can rebel more and, and go against what is the way, right? Mm-hmm. Where... Mandalorian is like an adult. Like I, I would assume he's probably around thirty. I, I don't know how old, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, like he is not like at that point in, in his life. Even though, at times he does seem a little childish and a little like teenager, but I think there's a difference there. Yeah, I, I think there could be a lot of you know, these people saved me. Like I owe my life to them. And so I'm sure if he packed it all up and then, you know, never returned and never and stopped helping them, he would probably feel guilty and he would probably start to resent it. And there's a lot to unpack there for, you know, he is sacrificing his happiness to help, you know, the collective. And I think, you know, especially Sabine shows us that there is a way to do both. There is a way to still help mm-hmm. your people and to still help yourself as well. Yeah, he hasn't figured out how to let go of certain aspects of his tribe. Yeah, and I, I think that's a big thing with Mandalorian culture is that they can't let the past go. I don't think they they've they learn from their mistakes very well, which we mm-hmm. we talked about. You know, like the let the past die. You know, whatever. But. It's, it's about learning from it and moving forward. Mm-hmm. And this tribe of Mar- Mandalorians seems very stuck in the past. They're very afraid. They're trapped in the dark. And I'm, I'm very interested to see, especially going into season two, because I feel like we're going to be going to more places. I don't know if we're going to go back to Navarro. I don't know if we're, like, where the tribe is going to end up. I, I'm interested to see how they expand that Mandalorian myth. I can't wait to see new planets. Yeah, I think it's going to be cool. Even if they're old planets being revisited, I can't wait for them to get off Navarro and see places. Yeah, definitely. Like, where, like, well, I think we should get into this next episode. Like, where do we go from here? Yeah. But that'll be a next week thing. Yeah, definitely. It's so interesting. Is there anything else you want to say about these four episodes before we move into our little Bebos? It's a very strong start to a series. Yeah, I think so as well. I think season ones of shows typically are still trying to find their footing and their ground, and I think this show knows exactly what it is. To me, this feels like they knew exactly what they were doing. Like, it's it's paced Mm -hmm. well. Like, 
we'll get into it in the next episode. There are two kind of like iffy sections, but I feel like they. I think there's a lot of meaning there. There though. is still a lot of meaning there. Like, like they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. Even though they're not our favorite episodes, I think there's a lot within them for us to talk about and us to appreciate. Yeah, for for sure. Like, this is, like, it feels to me like they sat down and they were like, this is the story we want to tell, and that there was a lot of care that went into it, um, mm-hmm. which I think you also see in, like, Fallen Order. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to get into the rest of it and see what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. So, moving into Little Bebo's, Alex, what is your Little Bebo this week? My Little Bebo is... Oh no, I don't know. (laughs) Do you have one? I do. My Little Bebo is Baby Yoda on the Razor Crest. Oh my gosh so good yeah especially at the beginning of episode four because you know like he's pressing buttons yeah and then mando's like stay here and he follows him oh it's so cute <laughs> oh baby Yoda's everything so baby cute. Yoda. oh he's the little bebo no um i think some of the scenes on um Sargon when he goes to play with the other kids mm. it's so cute the crib that they put him in Mm-hmm. Uh, Baby Yoda is the cutest. I am so, I'm still so surprised that they kept Baby Yoda a secret for they so. Did a good they job. did so good. Like Tross, what happened? <laughs> I think it was a uh, bad robot. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> um, but next episode, uh, we will go into our part three, which will be the final part in our Makeup and Mandalore series. We'll talk about the last four episodes of The Mandalorian. And we are going to Galaxy's Edge very soon. Um, so we will be recording that episode in advance. February is also our, an- our anniversary month for the podcast. Yes, end of February is coming up on our anniversary. I don't know if we're going to do anything or if you guys have any ideas but i'm excited yeah it's cool um but as always uh, if you want to be part of lipstick and lightsabers you can send in your star wars story to lipstick lightsabers 1901 at gmail.com and you can be part of our uh, friday series you can also email us if you have any questions um we're always on twitter at lip underscore lightsabers and then our personal twitters at mccarter shannon and at alex leonis Uh, But that is going to do it for this episode, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.